Hi, and welcome to Pass the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Awards podcast where we look at the vast world of MTV Movie Award nominees and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Gregg, a foremost kissing expert. And today we're going to be looking at Best Kiss 1997. How are you today, Ben? I'm doing really, really well. Um, because of my new uh, work schedule, I watched all of these movies yesterday, and I had a oh, lovely boy. time. <laughs> uh, That's, yeah. Did you go in order? That's... Um, I, I was planning on it, and then I saw that Independence Day was two hours and 20 minutes, and I was like, I'm going to bang this one out first, just in case. Um, I don't want to leave that one to the very end. But I feel like I got I feel like I got a very good experience with each movie or like a very I got a intended experience with each movie, I guess. All right. Well, first to set the scene a bit, the 1997 MTV Movie Awards were held on Tuesday. So suddenly after like years of Saturday, they're like, no, let's try Tuesday again. Maybe that was right. It's just <laughs> It's kind of like this podcast, and you need to reschedule. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, oh, sorry, I can't do it this day. Can we move to, like, this one? <laughs> yeah, it was hosted on June 10th, and by Mike Myers. Probably oh, close to, like, I'd have to check, but I think that's around the time when Austin Powers is coming out. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's around that time. Uh yeah, I think I think um, International Man of Mystery came out that year, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, so his, I mean, obviously he's been an MTV Movie Award presence before with the Wayne's World movie, but at this point we're getting to, like, the time where, like, his stock has never been higher. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, and an interesting thing for how stacked a year it was, because initially when I'm like, oh, Ind- Independence Day is a movie that I think, and we're going to talk about in a sec, that, I think Stance is like one of the first of the big sort of modern blockbusters of the past 25 years where you're like, oh, clearly that one must have been huge and swept at everything. But it actually only got five nominations here and it lost Best Movie to Scream. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. No, you, you would think it's like Independence Day seems to have like kind of like, it, yeah, it seems to be one of those first big blockbuster sort of just grandiose movies and. It it couldn't beat out Scream. Yeah, I mean, not that there's anything wrong wrong with that no. Scream. Scream no, probably I, I like think, a favorite of mine. Just yeah, I think yeah, especially um given like the novelty of it at the time, like this first Scream. I think yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then apparently Wikipedia doesn't always do this, but they had like they listed presenters for this year, and Best Kiss was presented by Cameron Diaz, who will pop up in a couple years, and Ewan McGregor. Like, oh. Which is one of those, I wonder if they had a movie, because I'm like, what inspired that combination? of just... <laughs> yeah. So I think Cameron Diaz presents Best Kiss a few times in her day. Like, she... Yeah, anyways, if we want to get into things... Yeah, of course. Um, so, the uh, nominees for 1997 was... Um, uh, Claire Danes as Juliet and Leonardo DiCaprio as Romeo in Romeo Plus Juliet. I think it's uh, Gina uh, Gershon or Gershon. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's correct. It's 
Yeah, it's either Gershon or Jer. Yeah, doesn't sound. Yeah, uh, and Jennifer. Yeah, uh, um, as Corky and Jennifer uh, Tilly as Violet in Bound. Um, there's also uh, Kira Sedgwick as Lace Peniman and John Travolta as George Miller in Phenomenon. Phenomenon. One of those names more interesting sounding than the other one. Just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, just bland and plain lace penimus. <laughs> um, and then we also had Christina Taylor as um, uh, Marcia Brady and Christopher Daniel Barnes as Greg Brady in the in a very Brady sequel. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get to that one. Um, and then uh, the winner that year was Will Smith as Stephen Hiller and uh, Vivica A. Fox as um, Jasmina du- Dubrow in Independence Day. Oh, just give me all the names and everything. Just uh... I made sure to make it on my, on my notepad. I was like, okay, I'm going to put their name and then their character name in parentheses, just so I don't forget. Yeah, it just uh, helps you avoid situations like the classic, wait, what League of Their Own Kiss got nominated? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Alright, um, so yeah, we can, um, start with probably the top of the list. Um, I think this was the only movie in this year that I had seen previously. Um, it was Romeo plus Juliet. Um, oh, do we want to start with Independence Day, though, as, like, the winner? Like, Oh, we starting, okay, if we want to start with the winner, I have no problem with that. Um, Let's yeah, see. I... Oh, we've been doing it, Benny. Just... Oh, I need to remember, I need to write that down. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, Independence Day is is just sort of a just a really like uh, fun, energetic movie. Um, I don't know if you want to give the the plot synopsis on this one. Um, it's a bit all over the place, honestly. Yeah, Independence Day, you know the kind of classic Roland Emmerich block blockbuster. Um, probably his best movie. He like or he he does a lot of stuff, and eventually just. Spends most of his career after this trying to top Independence Day's like big, let's blow up all the monuments set piece with stuff like Day After Tomorrow and things. But yeah, the premise of the film is aliens come to Earth, and it's there's a, like an enormous ship, and then they send a bunch of saucers that are all 15 miles wide and. Then they're just chilling out for a while, and Jeff Goldblum, who's like a MIT train technician, while everyone's trying to figure out what's going on, he he notices that there's kind of a code, and it seems to be a countdown to a kind of attack. So everyone starts getting ready. Will Will Smith is I don't know if he's on active duty, but he's yeah. But he plays this guy who's like a pilot, and Vivica A. Fox is like his girl girlfriend, and the, there's a lot of like shenanigans for the first part, but then at a certain point, the White House blows up. Just, yeah, the first part of the movie is just sort of setting up all like the moving pieces because there's like quite a bit of, of stuff going on. So yeah, there there's the the Will Smith, uh, this Will Smith as Stephen Heller and the Vivica Fox is. Um, James Duke Brown. There's sort of the president who's 
was sort of dealing with like the the media sort of just being like, ah, oh, he's a wimp. He's not super cool. Um, That's like Jeff Goldblum and his dad Jerry Stiller trying to get to the president. <laughs> I, I love their interactions. And then there's um, oh, what's his name? What's the name of that one actor? Um, oh, the one, the one who 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 got like abducted by aliens. What what's the name of? Oh, Randy Quaid. Yeah. Yeah, and then it also sets up like a very small scene with like Randy Quaid, like he's like an alcoholic and he's like he's been disturbed because. It's it's uh I guess he he's been abducted by aliens. I don't know whether that's true or not. It seems true given the aliens, you know. But yeah, uh, I, yeah, I think we're eventually to take that as like true. It's mm-hmm. I think so too. You know, um, I'll I'll let you continue. Yeah. So then eventually the yeah the White House, the Empire State Building, all of these monuments like blow up. And a lot of people die, and at this point, most of the characters come together, except yeah, kind of ja- Jasmine and uh, the First Lady, played by Mary McDonald, both kind of wind up together for a while, just rounding up survivors. And it then becomes a thing of like just Will Smith and Randy Quaid and Jeff Goldblum, like trying to figure out how they're going to like counterattack and fight back. There's a there's a thing where the president learns that Area 51 is real, which is kind of weird cuz Area 51 is like a real thing. Like it's Yeah. <laughs> it's not it, like <laughs> If it was just, "Oh, Area 51 does have aliens after all." That makes sense, but here's like, "No, I'm sorry. There's no such thing as Area 51." He's like, "Um actually, Mr. President." To be fair, this was 1997. Maybe that wasn't as as widely known. Maybe maybe the lines between it being like real and it being full of aliens was kind of blurred. Yeah, <laughs> that is really yeah. funny though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was the 90s. Maybe like you know, Roland Emmerich's from Germany. Maybe he just didn't look up. Oh, is Area 51 real? It's just like, <laughs> well, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't be. It's full of aliens. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, eventually it gets to a point where I think the the one thing that becomes really iconic about this movie is just President Bill Pullman's big This Is Our Independence Day speech, which is just really patriotic and rousing, and you're watching this and you're like, yeah, yeah, and... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, the we will not go quietly into the night, it's like it's... It's fortunate that it is it is the fourth of July, but it will not just be you know Americans' independence. It'll be the day that the that the world stood together, <laughs> and just yeah. Is, yeah, very very patriotic. Yeah, like really gets you going, and then they're successfully able to like destroy the alien mothership. Randy Quaid sacrifices himself, like because something goes wrong with like. He's supposed to deploy a bomb, but then the release mechanism isn't there, so he just kind of flies in and blows it up. And his kids are, like, in the war room, and they have to, like, explain there. And then that opens the door for Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith to just take out the mothership with virus they have. You know, very 90s computer virus that can take out some foreign... yeah. Yeah, exactly. Foreign planet alien technology. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I 
Oh man, because I remember watching this movie. Um, like, because I watched it for the first time just the other day, and I, I was like, oh, I didn't know there was actually like aliens. Like, I knew there was. I'm sorry, I mean like physical. Like, you get to see what they look like, aliens. I thought it was just like the ships. Yeah. What's that? Oh, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was more like a a um a first encounter type situation where you just never see the actual aliens. I thought it was just the ships. Okay. Yeah, it's. Honestly, maybe that would work work better. Like, I don't think the alien design is that like memorable, though. It is. No, I don't think so. Though um, it is funny when you just get that one alien realizing what's about to happen before he blows oh, yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he gets like the little alien skull and crossbones icon on his on his little like alien laptop. Oh yeah, the alien laptop. Oh, oh um, but yeah. Ah, oh, no, a, a wonderful, a wonderful piece of cinema. Definitely glad I uh, watched it. Um, in my notes, I have in quotes, um, it's the end of the world as we know it. I forget when they play that, but that's very funny. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I really like the overzealous intro credits that sort of explode. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this... So it's definitely a classic blockbuster, and oh, then yeah. movies spend a lot of time after this, like, trying to, like, recreate that thing where they're like, oh, that's what everyone wants. Big films that open in, like, May through July that just have lots of explosions, which mm-hmm. some people are not a fan of, but, you know, when it's like this, you're like, oh, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is good stuff. Oh, yeah. When it's still pretty novel, yeah. And then there's also a kiss. Yep. Um, I, is it, I'm assuming it's the wedding, the sort of wedding kiss between, um... Yeah, between uh, Will Smith, Stephen Hiller, and uh, Vivica Fox, uh, Jasmine, or I guess it would be Jasmine Hiller after the wedding. Wedding uh, kiss? Uh, I thought it was after like he finds her when they've been separated for much of the film. Oh, okay, that could be the one too. Um, I could have sworn I know there's a wedding scene. Either one, um, yeah, pretty good kiss. I, I think like in in movies like this. The, the romance kind of takes like a backseat to the the aliens and the Randy Quaid being back um, in in these sort of like big blockbuster movies. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's good. Like Will Smith and Vivica A. Fox have like oh no, they're, yeah, chemistry. Yeah, they're, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I I believe they were already friends before this, or she was friends with Jada Pinkett, like. This is before, like, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett are, like, married. and Yeah, yeah. No, they had, they had uh, wonderful chemistry. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the acceptance speech for this, Will Smith was there and Vivica A. Fox was not. So it's just Will Smith doing, like, Will Smith bits. And then he reads, like, a speech that Vivica faxed him. That's <laughs> just very dramatic. It's like, I want to thank God and I want to thank Will Smith. And it's just... Oh, uh. That got faxed to him. The, the, the MTV Movie Awards still standing the test of being the perfect, uh, the perfect metaphorical rings on a on a tree. To figure out which time period you're in. Yeah, and now we're heading to like the late nineties when like faxing is all the <laughs> all rage. The yeah, but um, yeah, no, like great movie. Pre- uh, pretty good kiss. Um. Jeff Goldblum bikes in an office. I don't think there's much more I could ask for. Yeah, again, it's something where I was surprised that it didn't do 
like better like i assume this was gonna be a speed level blockbuster just getting nominated for stuff and clean it up but mm-hmm. you know again it gets best action se- sequence nomination and vivica fox gets a sort of breakthrough performance thing and will smith gets a, a best male performance like you know they all get nods but and it gets nominated for best movie of course but this is like its only win at the mtv movie so and one movie actually got well this this film got five nominations another film got six nominations and it's actually the next one we want to talk about there romeo plus juliet (laughs) yeah so um i had actually seen this movie before but how i saw it was in i think either grade five or grade six um they would just sort of put on movies at like lunchtime. So when I was like, I don't know how old I would be, like 10 or 11, um, I saw this movie in like 15 minute chunks. Um, and it was so, it was so cool. <laughs> I remember really liking it then. And I, and I really liked it upon this rewatch. This is a film, I think I watched it for the first time last year as. Trying to trying to remember at what point there's a there's a point last summer where I'm like, you know, I've never seen a movie from like Baz Luhrmann who does th- this film and Future Best Kiss nominee Moulin Rouge, and then oh, like wow. that makes yeah. so much sense. Oh, you didn't know it was the same guy? <laughs> like, nope. Just... Uh, but that makes that makes that makes oodles of sense. They both have very similar energies. Yeah, and he. Also did like Great Gatsby and then a couple couple other films and at one point I'm like, I wanna watch through all of these and <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, like I forget which order I came, but I watched I'm like, oh wow, this is like incredible. All I knew about this one was it was Romeo and Juliet, but they put it in a modern setting and gave everyone guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, absolutely. I think you could uh I think this movie is probably best described as, you know, your classic Romeo and Juliet duo. Um and yeah, um the thing about they all have guns, but all of like I think with only slight modifications, the script is just the the sort of words and phrases from the play. Um so like on all of the guns on the side it'll like say like like uh like dagger or like yeah like or like a rapier or i'm trying to remember what the other ones there's another i was one near the beginning that i can't remember um or i think just say like like sword um but yeah no it's it's super super interesting and like really weird like because yeah it's very like like modern but the way that they speak is like it's it's just like the lines right from right from the shakespeare play yeah this film is the second of what Baz Luhrmann calls like kind of his Red Curtains trilogy, which is films like devoted to just kind of exploring different sort of art, art forms. So his first film is a film called Strictly Ballroom, which I think you'd enjoy, which is it's like this small Australian film where everyone is just really intense about this regional like dance competition. And it's about this guy who wants to do like modern dance room, rooms, but the strict judge is like, no. We only do ballroom here, and it's just very intense for something that they never say, but it's just implied to just be like a small regional trophy, and that's kind of his dance film. And then this one is, I I think it's like poetry is what it's kind of representing in, or stage, like, just, mm-hmm. just that kind of thing. And then Moulin Rouge, obviously, it's his big flashy musical, but... Yeah, uh... 
Yeah, I know. I really liked. I really liked this and Moulin Rouge. Yeah, That's interesting. But yeah, but the big idea here, of course, was well, what if we took like the iconic thing of Romeo and Juliet and all the dialogue, and I just to show you how fun. well it holds up, yeah. it just put it in the modern context. So suddenly, like Verona becomes like just some like California, just beachside place, and. The like Capulets and Montagues become intense, like crime family type things with warring crime families, and mm-hmm. the prince becomes just a cop who's like, "Uh, I'm Sergeant Prince." Whatever, just <laughs> oh yeah, he does a really good job. You yeah, know, this movie is is wonderfully weird. Um, there is a lot of kisses in this movie. Do you happen to know which one is like the kiss for, that's being nominated? Uh. Yeah, I didn't figure it out. I thought maybe it would be like kind of near in the the pool, near sort of the balcony sequence. Like, mm. yeah, no, that that one might be the one it is. Because yeah, because there is like there's an elevator kiss, there's a kiss by the pool, there's the room kiss, there's the ending kiss. Yeah, um, uh, I don't think it would be the ending. Kiss. <laughs> they, they don't want to pull a Bram Stoker, Bram uh, Stoker's Dracula. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least for Amsoka Dracula, he wasn't, like, dead already. <laughs> just, he was just about to die. But. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, the pool kiss is, like, very, very, like, fun. Um, this movie's just, it's something to definitely experience. I, I uh, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about it. It's a very, very good movie, though. Yeah, like, it, it's all the things where, you know, we don't really need the plot summary, because... Even if you've never read Romeo and Juliet, most people know the basic beats of that. It's Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, both doing a really good job just playing up the teenageness of it all. Just, yeah. No, they did a wonderful job. But yeah, it's a movie that opens up and I think it almost gives the opening monologue just like twice initially. Initially, it's like a newscaster just giving the news, and then just a narrator goes in as that's going for like the credits. And something I learned when just digging stuff stuff up is apparently, well, it goes back and forth. Forth, like Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio have said different things about this movie and the relationship, but reportedly they did not really get along because. Even though she was younger than him, Claire Danes found Leonardo DiCaprio to be kind of immature. Oh. He famously used to be a bit of like a prankster on sets. And then he's like, well, she's a, she, she's uptight. But apparently she also did, she was giving an interview where she's like, yeah, I had a bit of a crush on Leo when we did this movie. Like, you know, he's Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Leo is someone we'll be talking much more about next week for arguably his most iconic kissing role. Ah, yes. The Revenant. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 19, 1997's The Revenant. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But, he, but he actually gets like a third third best kiss nomination for Gangs of New York. Which is oh, wait. Oh, no, wait. I'm think- wait. Gangs of New York. I don't think if I've seen that movie. No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the movie Gangster Squad. Yes, uh, <laughs> very different film. Leonardo DiCaprio was not in Gangster Squad, as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and interest and interestingly, much like his long-standing Oscar curse, 
he has never won for best cast at the MTV Movie Awards. Well, he needs to he needs to get working on that. Honestly, um, yeah, he could pull it off. I think. I think, still. I think he's got a few more romantic movies in him. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, Romeo plus Juliet. Um, if if there's two things in this world I love, um, it's things um, I had to read in high school that were difficult and um, characters with guns. So I I think this is probably the perfect movie for anybody that shares those two interests. Um, I'll say I now wish I had watched this one in high school and not the upper one. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it also got a best movie nod and then nominated for best male performance best on-screen duo, and best song for the garbage one, number one crush. Which is <laughs> really fu- funny where it's like, oh, which, which Romeo and Juliet song got like a best song nomination? Like, who did it? And that's how you know it's in the 90s, where it's like, oh, garbage, of course. Just... <laughs> Very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, it also yeah. won for best female performance. So Wow. Oh, you know, that was... Um... Oh, yeah, I guess the last thing of note, um, a uh, a children's uh, choir does um, when when doves cry at some point in the movie, and that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about Romeo plus Juliet? No, I think I've gone through everything I want to say. Um, Great movie, probably my favorite of the ones we did on this episode. Like, the kisses are kind of undeniable, like, we we didn't talk about a lot, but you know, it's two two of like our, yeah, most like attractive actors at that time just kissing. It's always gonna be good. Yeah. But now we're, yeah, but now we're gonna move on to a kiss that broke ground as the MTV Movie Awards first same sex kiss. Best Kiss nomination, excluding Free Willy, of course. Just oh yeah, of course. Um... <laughs> yeah, um, uh, actually, don't know how much I want to just claim Free Willy's the first same sex kiss <laughs> on MTV, but we got <laughs> down groundbreaking. Yeah, 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 ground groundbreaking with um, yeah, uh, Gina Gershon's uh, Corky and Jennifer Tilly's Violet. You really want everyone to know you just wrote down the names of those I characters. I do, I do. I wanna, the more I practice, the more I'll probably hopefully do it in the future. Um. Yeah. <laughs> but Bound, the directorial debut, I believe, of the of the Wachowski sisters. Yeah, went on to do The Matrix. Just... Ah. That's really, really cool. Yeah, no, this movie... Um, I, think I, I think I quite enjoyed this movie to some degree. Um, yeah, I... Th- I'm trying to think because it was like it was definitely like a different movie, and uh, yeah. things that really stood out were like a few of like the I'm not I'm not good with my movie turns, but like some of like the shots were very cool. Um, oh yeah, yeah, like when um ah oh, like wait spoilers for Bound, um but the 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 big head honcho whose name is escaping me um does get shot and they do like a really cool like overhead as he's falling. And it's just like, and then the movie's just full of shots like that. Yeah, this is a film, obviously the Wachowskis become known for, like, the Matrix and doing just big, crazy, like, sci-fi films you can barely make sense of, like, 
Jupiter mm -hmm. ascending and Cloud Atlas and like Speed Racer and yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> no, I don't think it's Cloud Atlas. That sounds wrong. Um, but yeah, and this is a much more sort of like grounded movie. That's like everything is like very like understandable, like what's happening, and it's more just getting getting to those beats. It's an interesting film, especially because like again, Romeo and Juliet, you know, second Baz Baz Luhrmann film, but like he. He's someone where all all his films pretty much are like the same style style, and this is more a thing where like the their debut is like a lot di different from oh Cloud Atlas is the title I got I got all right oh, cool there you go yeah, yeah but it's interesting because it is sort of just uh, yeah this is just kind of more what you would expect in that you know it has like all the hallmarks of the stuff they're going gonna go on to make but it's maybe a bit bit less ambitious, a bit more like modest mm -hmm. in terms of things, but yeah. it's a neat but, little neo-nor of like a crime movie. Yeah. So basically, if I'm unless I'm mistaken, the plot synopsis is that um the character um Porky sort of moves in next to um Violet and her her boyfriend Caesar. Um and then they they sort of like meet and they, they they fall very passionately in love for each other um and they sort of devise a plan to steal like a large sum of money from caesar who he was going to give to one of his associates that he doesn't like so much so they were gonna like frame his associate like taking the money and yeah caesar works for the mafia this is yeah like... yeah yeah there's like a big like uh, a big crime stink going on um but just stuff just goes awry um <laughs> like pretty pretty soon because once the money's gone and violet tells caesar like oh like the the guy took it like the uh, i just need to look up the name um he sort of instead of what the plan was where they were supposed to just, he was supposed to just like leave or like just not do anything about it. He actually wants to like meet with them and like confront him about it. Um, and that sort of ends with like a bloodbath and a bunch of people dead. And then a tertiary, some tertiary mob members um, come to like check up on him. And then more people get shot. And then I think it ends with them more or less uh getting the money if i'm not mistaken is that yeah, it, uh, yeah they got away it's that's yeah i know I, I remember this movie was like it's not like hard conceptually but it, there is like a bit of like like sort of like flashback and back and forth a little bit near the beginning in the middle um not like a lot just like kind of like a kind of like a stinger of like oh how did this character get in this situation and then we're going to show you how yeah, yeah, your classic kind of yeah in the middle of the action, yeah, in Madaya Res type. Yeah. So what what did you think of the movie? Oh uh, yeah, no, this one was really really cool. Like a, like I found like the Wachowskis. I had never seen this one, and yeah, I was just yeah, really kind of taken by it. I think both of the performances in it are like really yeah, the lead performances are really good. You know, it has a class has like a classic crime mm. thing and. And it's interesting that, like, his, you know, when looking for when I was looking for these nominees way back when, and trying to figure figure out, like, uh, yeah, kind of how how it went for, 
you know, just kisses between you know, queer characters or like same sex kisses on MTV. My assumption was it was going to be a while before we got to one that was actually actually like really good and thoughtful, but mm-hmm. and not like like a like a comedy where two guys kiss, you know, like something like that was actually yeah, but like it actually turns like out that they start off good and then like the call just turns it towards Z. Yeah, <laughs> I I keep bringing up American yeah. Pie two as uh, a thing where I'm like, oh yeah, well that, well, that one's clearly going to be like a gay panic thing, but. I haven't seen American Pie too. Maybe it isn't. Just yeah, maybe, maybe it is quite quite thought thoughtful and and for the time very maybe slightly tasteful. Um, but... Fingers crossed, I guess. Um, uh, oh, can I get your? I I was ringing around with an idea after I finished this movie, and sure. I want to kind of bounce it off you. Um, if Caesar, so okay. Well, I guess I guess some like groundwork first is that like. Nobody's like in this movie. Everyone's like kind of mobsters. Like mo- a mobster really isn't like an inherently bad person. Like the mob is just kind of exists, you know. Um, if Caesar like wasn't homophobic as he's shown to be, would he really be like that bad of a guy? Because he's just kind of getting gaslit the whole movie. It's tough to to say like. <laughs> Because like the more I watch it, the more I'm like, the more I'm like, oh yeah, Caesar, yeah, that's exactly how you like should act. Like you're being fed all these lies, and the world is being sh- like melted around you. But then he's homophobic, and that's what makes him a bad, a bad guy. <laughs> Which is like a really weird, a really weird, uh, a really weird like stance to take in that situation. Yeah, like I mean, obviously we don't know every detail oh. of it, but I'm trying to think, I'm like. Was Caesar like abusive beyond a thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's not really. He's just like a normal yeah, that's, guy. That's why I, right? that's why I like, wanted to bounce it off. I guess there maybe is like implications that he's like not a very good like um like partner, and that like yeah. But I just remember like like up until that point, um, I was like, oh man, he's just kind of being he's just being messed with very very hard. <laughs> like he's like killing people. That, like, he personally thinks it's, like, justified because, like, of course he does. All these people are conspiring against him, but he's just yeah, being Yeah, this is him. definitely, like, an early r- runner for, like, sort of a pre-Sopranos thing where just mobs, a lot of mobsters are just kind of, like, people. Mm. And they're like, oh, yeah, they they just happen to do crime. Yeah, yeah my friend recently finished The Sopranos and he absolutely loved it. I'm, I'm going to have to take a crack at that once I have some, yeah. Once I have. Oh, yeah, time. The Sopranos is great. Like, it's... Yeah. And, like, yeah, I think the only reason that the idea was ringing around in my head, I was like, I wonder if it would be, like, a more interesting movie if there was, like, a more ambiguity into, like, who's right and, like, whether these two characters doing, like, doing, like, this bad action is kind of worth their, yeah. like, freedom. Well, I yeah, it's, it's only a film that just making it clear that, like, all these, you know, all these people are, like, compromised in some way, though. Exactly. It's not, there's not really, like, there, there's quote-unquote bad people and then there's worse people i guess there's not yeah. really like a good a good guy there are all these people just trying to live but no i absolutely this movie was really really fun to watch yeah and i guess we can talk talk more about the kiss which is interesting because it's it happens like pretty er, early on i think yeah. like it's one of their early interactions where there's just this kind of initial flirtation between between them and She's yeah, mm-hmm. like Cor- Corky is you know she's an ex-con and she I think it, 
I'm not sure if she actually lives at the apartment building, but she's like kind of the plumber. Like she's Yeah, she she's doing yeah, she either I don't yeah, I don't know if she lives there. I think she's actually just doing like contract work for like the the room next door and there are very thin walls. Yeah, and it's kind of initially she comes in and Caesar's not there, so oh no, she dropped an earring down the sink and like it's kind <laughs> of just an excuse to go in and she starts to go and do this sort of seduction, but they get interrupted. But then, then Violet kind of follows her to like the the truck, and that's sort of where they have this kiss. There, it's like, oh yeah, I should have finished like this seduction. And again, you know, it's this really like, yeah, it's this really nice kiss, and it's like pa- passionate and hot, but not hot in a way that you might expect. Yeah. Expect the like a uh, lesbian kiss from the '90s to be where it it's just not really like male gazy, which of course makes sense because yeah. it's like the Wachowskis. But it's yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I I think I got that feeling too that it, it just felt like a like a passionate love kiss and not like a weird like overly sexualized one. Yeah, and apparently the uh, the Wachowskis and of course this is years before they like come out as trans trans and stuff, but. Even then, they talk about, oh, they didn't want to make this the male version of a lesbian relationship. They wanted something raw and authentic, which I think they achieve. And I think so, too. Good on yeah, them. and then another thing I found is Jennifer Tilly like, talked a bit about this, this thing, and I guess the Wachowskis wanted an extreme close-up of the lips. So they had already shot it, but then the Wachowskis spent $10,000 on a special camera? To just get like a lip close up shot. <laughs> oh, that's super interesting. Nothing but perfection, perfection from them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really good. <laughs> Apparently, Gene Hagerstone was like, "Oh, this is gonna like look up my nose," but it is a beautiful <laughs> shot and def like money well spent. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, this is a wonderful movie. Uh, Definitely worth a watch. The the first, or depending on where you stand, second, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> same sex kiss. Very, but very, very good movie. Definitely like a a good. What, what was the? It had a, it was something noir. What was it? It was ne- like neo noir, like the kind of like more modern okay. type thing. And this, yeah. yeah, yeah, it kind of has sort of a heyday in the nineties, and we'll definitely talk about. A couple more of them as we go on, and yeah, this is kind of like a milestone for for MTV. And I'll say, well, and some of the kisses you look down, and uh, again, you see an American Pie two, and you go, hmm. I'll say MTV from this point does become like pretty consistent in having years with where a lot of years have at least one, and some some even have like two, like just kind of. Yeah, same-sex nominees there, and really, like, it's interesting that they do try and make sure that there's that kind of diversity there, you know, in, in race and gender, and in making sure that there's something for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, wait, um, oh, have you heard of the, this is a bit of a tangent, but, like, have you heard of, like, the, the Scully effect? I have not. <laughs> oh, so essentially the Scully effect was that, um, in, in, um, the X-Files, um, with the character, like, Scully, they saw, like, an uptick in, like, females wanting to join those fields. Um, 
So like hopefully representation in this will cause everyone to get out there and, and kiss loads. Yeah. <laughs> kiss loads. And create a positive feedback. Yeah, kiss loads. Yeah. Maybe do some crimes. Just Exactly. <laughs> but anyways, we can move on now to a very weird movie. Um Phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. It's really strange because this one, I think, and I don't want to spoil my my uh, best movie list, but this is the one that was like kind of the most boring to me. But I have like the most stuff written down about it. Yeah, um, yeah it's a movie where not a ton <laughs> happens, and yet you're like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess uh, I can I can I think I I can give a plot synopsis of this one. Um, John Travolta's character George Miller um, is just sort of just like a guy in a town he's very bland and then he sees like lights that might be aliens that kind of flash him and then he becomes like uh, like really like cognitively stimulated like, like he can learn things like really really fast so he's like reading like like a hundred book like four books a night. He's like he I think like the first sort of um the first sort of sign is this is that he's like thinking about like the rabbit that is it, that's in his yard and he's like, Oh my gosh, like I built the fence and the rabbit was still in the yard, so the fence is actually keeping the rabbit in. And that was I guess I on retrospect, I guess that was supposed to be like the first sign of like, oh my gosh, he's he's getting so much smarter. Um and then he's sort of building gadgets in his house. He's he's like learning whole languages in like twenty minutes. Um and then there's this girl, uh, Lace Peniman, who he like has a crush on that he's like slowly trying to flirt with and like she has two daughters. Um and then he also he also starts to be able to move small things with mind. And the explanation he gives is that like we're all made of energy, right? And it's sort of like a partnership between two energies is how I'm able to move this pencil. Um, yeah, and the and townsfolk is actually kind of like freaked out by this. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess understandably so. It is like insane. Predicts an earthquake. Um, yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. That's like that's like another one of the things that happens early on, and like they're like, "How'd you do?" It? He's like, "I just kind of felt it." Um, and then he's like, and then he tries to like get like um, attention from like the academic community. So he gets someone like a size. I think size. size yeah, so, uh, seismologist. Yeah. Seismologist. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, he's like, "Oh, like, can I see your other facilities too?" And he's like. He's like kind of like no because like we just came here about the earthquake thing, um, but then while he's visiting, uh, he sort of witnesses uh, John Travolta's character like find a kid with a stomach ache through like some sort of like he can also feel John Travolta's character can also feel the stomach ache so he can find out where he is. And I guess that displays like enough, and he also like moves like a bunch of of sticks of wood really far away. Um, and I guess that's enough for like the the seismologist to be like, I will let you look at all of our institutions, like to like see what you got going on. Um, he also makes like a fertilizer powered car. Um, 
yeah so like this yeah it's just him just doing cool stuff and being really smart um and then people like start people under people are like kind of like uh like a bit weirded out yeah, by he's him. trying to help the community um, but everyone's just like panicked the fbi's looking into it because they're like something's weird with this guy and yeah exactly it culminates um, in this big yeah. like scene where he goes to the the fair to do a demonstration but like it just again causes people to like just freak out and they want to see him like heal people but yeah he also um i think he also like broke glass in the in the bar and like people are like asking him about the like how did you break the glass like did you throw something we didn't see oh it? yeah and then he passes out he passes out because he has a brain yeah that's tumor. the twist it's it's not aliens <laughs> it's he has a brain tumor just <laughs> And so, like, the doctor, the doctor, and this is, I guess this was also maybe uh, subtly my, or I guess, like, kind of, like, the pro, or not the problem, but, like, the thing I was talking about with Bound, where, like, I wonder if, like, if the, if Caesar was, like, a little less evil, if it would be more interesting. He's, like, talking to, like, a doctor who's, like, kind of unnecessarily, like, kind of, not evil, but, like, really, like, mean about the fact that he, like, he, like, wants to, like, study his like brain tumor while he's still alive. Yeah, he wants to do an operation um, that's but, not gonna save him, but it's go he just wants to do research on a living brain. Yeah, but like he's like really unnecessarily mean about it. Like in a way you probably shouldn't negotiate <laughs> these things. Yeah, John Travolta's <laughs> like, no, I don't want to do that. And so he has him declared mentally unfit so he can hold him against his will to try and convince him. Yeah. Um but eventually, he gets away, and uh, he spends, like, his last couple, like, I don't know if it's, like, weeks or days, um, with uh, Lace Peniman, um, and just sort of, like, dying in their arms. Uh, and then I think, yeah, the kiss happens, like, right at the end. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough, I think it was a very good kiss. I think it was, like, very, like, emotional, despite the fact that I think, like, Almost none of this movie has like them interacting or like doing stuff together. Yeah, it's a good kiss, but also I'll say it's not the most romantic scene in the movie. There's oh no, not yeah, at all. There's a point because he's like helping out with one of her da daughters and things, and there's a point where she visits him and she gives him like a shave, and it's just really like intimate oh, yeah. and. Yeah, yeah. He's and she's like, "Did I get it close?" And he's like, "Why don't you find out?" And then they like press cheeks to each other. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that's where the kiss." And this is what convinces him to like stop avoiding the townspeople because he's like been keeping his distance for a while. But it's, but like it's a much better scene than their like actual kiss, even though the actual kiss is good. And then he dies. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. Just, yeah. yeah. And it's the thing where she goes um, to, like, the bar after he's died, and everyone's like, oh, but, you know, he's kind of, like, a freak. And then she's like, wait, he helped all of you. And they're like, oh, you're right. Just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a very, like, strange movie that, like, I feel like it's sort of, it's sort of caught between these, like, it wants to be, I don't know if it wants to be, but it feels like it wants to be sort of half this like have you ever seen lucy um 
I have not, but I'm like familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like half wants to do this, like, oh, what if we could use a hundred percent of our brain? And then it also kind of wants to be like half like this guy in the small town trying to connect with this small town girl. And like, that's not impossible, but I feel like it would take like a very like talented team and a lot of like pieces to fall together that I don't really feel like fall together in this movie. It feels like two like separate movies. Yeah. Like the the scenes where he's like really intelligent, really smart, like they don't really intersect with the romance of this movie at all. Yeah. Um, also, Travolta's pretty hit or miss as an actor, and this is not like one of his better. Uh, like, yeah, it's not a great job. Like, yeah, there, there could have been like a way to like to like interwove his like his <laughs> brain tumor intelligence and sort of the romance, but they're not. They're not. They don't really intersect at all. It's like one scene he's like making like miracle machines and like moving pencils with his mind, and then in the next scene he's just sort of awkwardly flirting with with the with the lace and it's like it's just, it feels like it feels like two very mediocre movies in one pretty mediocre movie yeah because that's the thing like despite the fact that we probably spent more time on this plot summary than any of like the other movies yeah. and just describing incidents it's just very boring and overwrought it's like yeah. uh yeah i think yeah every, everything we've described there's like a good like twenty minutes in between each of these events that we've described where like not much happens and like stuff's kinda being dragged There's out. There's a subplot with like um, Forrest Whitaker, who's like a guy at this bar. Yeah. He has a crush on someone, it's and he gets helped out or just so boring. Yeah. Um Yeah. But yeah, no, that's I think that's everything that I um uh, had to say. But yeah, um I will say I think this movie, the easy fix is just make it alien. Like, you can still die or whatever, yeah. but like, it would be much more interesting if it was an alien thing. Yeah, it, it really would be. Or make it like nothing. And he just like read books more and just like, oh, I could actually just do this on my own. Make it like a placebo, like, a, like the water from Space Jam. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, apparently. Like, Kyra Sedgwick gave an interview where she was like, oh, yeah, Travolta was nervous for both the shaving scene and also the lovemaking at the end, and she just kind of guided him through it, which is kind of sweet. That's adorable. Also, inexplicably, this movie got nominated for Best Male Performance as well. Just... And also got a Best Song nom for... Was this, um... I'm assuming this was after... Pulp Fiction? Or am yes, I, this am is, I off on the Yes, this is that? like... Okay. Maybe John Travolta still, still had a little star power rocking after that. Yeah. John John Travolta has a really weird 90s. Like, he yeah, does Pulp Fiction, so but he easy. also does stuff like Lucky Numbers, which is this thing... It's one of his most insane performances, where he has a film called Michael, where he plays like a <laughs> literal angel. Just but he's like a chain smoker and he punches people. Like it's so it's kind of like the sister film to what is it? Little Little Mickey? What's the Adam Little Sandler Mickey? One? Yeah, little I love. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and now I think we should move on 
to the to the star of the evening, yeah um a very pretty sequel um I'm, i guess i'm excited about this yeah. one I, I like this one a lot yeah i actually I'm, watched this twice per- in like the past month <laughs> <laughs> um my own little personal story um i was i was watching this um through very legal websites 100 percent verified nothing wrong with them um and I had to go to like twenty, because at about the ten minute mark, the audio would off sync in like all of them. It was so weird. But eventually, I did find a version that worked. But I think it took like twenty minutes. That's weird. Like uh, I also watched this one on like le- legitimate sites, mostly, and did not have that that issue with it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, but um, yeah, this movie. Um, I remember Kenny, you sort of. You um, the second I heard about it, you sold sold me on the premise, and I was already like humming. And I, I think after this, I'm probably gonna try and watch the first one, because um, essentially it's that the Brady Bunch are still like the '70s family, but they exist in like whatever time period the movie is like like filmed in. Like so, it's like the it's like the late '90s, but they still just act like they did in the show, but everyone else doesn't and like reacts to them acting weird yeah it's it's kind of when it, this is sort of an age where like you're getting a lot of nostalgia fueled like remakes and film versions of stuff like the flintstones and adam's family and things and there's kind of a couple routes you can take where one is just kind of the really sincere like flintstones and i guess adam's family is also sincere but it's kind of a thing too where it's just sort of a the sincere homage to it. And then you can kind of do more of like a Scooby-Doo 21 Jump Street, not of the era, but similar type thing where it's more a deconstruction of the premise. And this yeah. one is kind of both. Oh, no. I, like, yeah, this, this one definitely super reminded me of the, the first live action Scooby-Doo movie a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because like uh, it's sort of like it's, it, it both wants you to like celebrate the Brady's, but also it's like, no, this is an insane thing. And its setup is essentially <laughs> what if the Bradys like acted the same, but they were in the nineties and everyone just treated them like they were the Adams family. Like it's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um Yeah. I wonder, um, do you want to give the, the plot synopsis of this? Yeah, one? so the Brady Bunch for <laughs> anyone who's like not aware because they're not into like old sitcoms of the time, like was a show. It's the story of a lady, a lovely lady, who is bringing up three very lovely girls, and all of them had hair of gold like their mother, youngest one in curls. But that's also the story of a man named Brady, who was busy with three boys of his own. They were four men, living all together, but they were all alone. Till the one day when the lady met this fellow, and they knew that it was more than just a hunch, that this group must somehow form a family. And that's how they all became the Brady Bunch. Just... That is the lyrics to the Brady Bunch <laughs> theme song, which is just yeah. very. Ex- I think it's a good. It's a, yeah. <laughs> oh, go on. Oh, I said very expository. Get, gets you the premise. <laughs> yeah, get, gets all the gets all the the necessary setup out of the way. Yeah. So the Brady Bunch is a sitcom about a blended family. Uh, fa- famously, while Mike Brady was explicitly a widow. 
Sherwood Schwartz, the creator, who also did Gilligan's Island, which is relevant for where this movie goes. Um, just... <laughs> <laughs> he wanted Carol. He wanted Carol, the member, to be divorced. And the network's like, no, this is the seventies. You can't have like a divorced woman on the show, Joe. So the compromise they reach is they just never explain what happened to her husband, which then also becomes relevant for this movie. And so the Brady Bunch is kind of considered the last of sort of the old old style family sitcoms, where just very gentle and very like definitely kind of hokey, but there's sort of a comfort in that and it's a franchise that has had a surprisingly long like cycle like you look at it and they did sequel shows and they try doing stuff where oh they're all adults now and oh the the girls are getting like marcia and jan got married to like different guys so it's kind of like the odd couple with the marcia and jan are also there and just the stuff and at a certain point in the 90s they decide to make like the brady bungie movie but their take on it is it's more it's more comedic and it's them essentially remixing a bunch of stuff that happened on the TV show, but but through the context of it's in, in the nineties. So the original one plays up the culture clash of it more than this one does. Like, for example, in the first Brady Bunch movie, which has the same cast, a big thing is they're trying to get popular 70s musician Davy Jones to play it like the dance. Which is a very famous episode of like the show and in the seventies and I think it goes well. But in this one, like it's just a bunch of very confused kids going, Why is this guy at the dance? And just all the teachers are excited about it. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And the first film is them like essentially the the premise is due to like a um mix up with the mail, they they're like behind on taxes and need to get twenty thousand dollars, or their house is gonna get, yeah, auctioned off. And their neighbor is working for a developer and trying to buy up all the houses in the neighborhood, but so he can turn it into a mall. And it becomes sort of this struggle against them. And they run into things where, oh yeah, something they don't linger on it on this one. But the idea is the dad is an architect, and the joke in both the movies is almost every design he makes is just looks like their house, which he also designed, and it's just this weird, like, outdated 70s thing. Uh, yeah, this movie is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, but, so this film, like, Rav, the first one, again, is just kind of, like, just sort of a slightly skewed sitcom episode, and this film just goes nuts with it, where the premise is that a man claiming to be Carol's long-lost husband who, like, disappeared on a mysterious expedition looking for a statue but is actually the man's like a ass- assistant shows up at the door going hey it's me me i'm your husband i have all this explanation for why i don't look or sound anything like him because he's attempting <laughs> to steal this very rare horse statue that's like there's only two in the world and it's worth 20 million dollars it's just been hanging out in the the thing so it's him trying to get the statue while the Bradys all go through di- different things. Um, this movie got a bit of a surgence in internet attention a couple years ago for maybe one of the best subplots where Jan, the oh yeah, because the movie also exaggerates the movie versions of these 
essentially just take a lot of the sitcom stuff and just exaggerates them to the extreme. So I think the sitcom had stuff of Jen feeling like the unwanted middle child, and then this one that just makes her like the ultimate of that. And it's this thing where Jan decides that to make up a boyfriend to get attention, which leads to a thing, thing of her going, it's just one morning, she's not eating breakfast. They're like, why are you not eating breakfast, Jan? And she's like, oh, I'm trying to watch my figure for my boyfriend. And you're like, oh, you have a boyfriend? That's cool. It's like, And then the older sister, Marsha, who is played by Christine Taylor, just perfectly is this very vapid, very, like, just self-obsessed sister who also just wants to tear Jan down on any turn. It's like, oh, that, that's interesting. What's his name? And she's like, uh, George. He's like, George what? And then she looks, and I think this is based on the TV show where I think she just looks at an empty glass and says George Glass, but in this one, first she sees the thing, and there's, like, orange juice in a cup. She's like, ah, uh, George, George Tropicana. Then the mom's like, oh, See Cuban? But then someone drinks the orange juice. She's like, oh, no, no, I mean George Glass. George Glass. And it just gets this really perfect thing where for first Marsha's like, oh, it's funny because I, I don't know anything. I never heard anything about George Glass at our school. And just the weirdest pronunciation of school, like, you cannot do it justice. But it's just eventually... But Jan Jan just goes to the thing, oh, he transferred, he transferred in the last week, that's why you didn't hear of him, and then, like, just, Marsha's, with the most sustained, the most, sure, Jan, just, it's just such a good bit, and, but it's them going through antics, and it's Carol just going with her, her husband, like, just trying to deal with, what does it mean that my original husband has shown up, Mike? Mike was trying to just prepare because he's preparing a big vow renewal wedding ceremony for the the thing and just the ki- kids go getting into stuff. The middle kid, Peter, has to work at like the company. Uh, the youngest ones, yeah, Bobby and Cindy start a detective agency, but then Cindy loses her doll. Like just, but yeah, and eventually it's, again, it's all just kind of remixed, the skewed plots and the, but the big thing that we haven't mentioned, the thing that eventually comes to focus of this kiss is... So, on the Brady Bunch show, something that it became kind of famous for was there was just a lot of, like, offstage shenanigans and drama. And one of the things there is Maureen McCormick and Barry Williams, who played the original Marsha and Greg, the oldest ones, had a long-standing on... Yeah on, like, off-screen flirtation, which leaked out onto the show, particularly during the fourth season where this sequel is taking a lot of its inspiration from. So, it's a thing where they are step-siblings, but during an episode in the fourth season where they go to Hawaii, the actors, like, shared a kiss, and it led to a thing where all of a sudden, it just becomes really apparent that something is going on between Marsha and Greg, even though arguably that should not be happening. And it culminates in this four season finale where I guess they ran into issues because the premise was Marsha and Greg both want to move into the attic, but they run in, but they argue a lot. But I guess on set, these actors were actively flirting, and 
What this translates into a movie is it's a similar thing where they both move into the attic, but in this one, suddenly, at a point where it looks like, oh, are they even going to be step-siblings anymore? They just find themselves increasingly, like, attracted to one another. And it's technically, it's hard to describe, like, there's a reason, I think, why you don't see a ton of step-sibling stories where they're both teenagers, which is, that kind of stuff can happen between actors. Like, I think the closest thing we have to a modern Brady Bunch equivalent is this old TV show, Life with Derek, that he used to watch, which is kind of a similar mom with a couple daughters, marries a dad with, like, a few few sons, and shenanigans ensue, and that's also a show where people notice that the two actors who played, like, Derek and Casey in the leads just had a weird amount of chemistry for people who were ostensibly playing, like, step-siblings? So, this movie is just taking that kind of weird subtext and running with it. It leads to a lot of just funny scenes of them going in, like, there's misunderstandings at a pool. There's a bit where the movie culminates in Hawaii. And it's just the thing where Greg is surfing and he gets injured. And then Marsha's like, luckily I took a life-saving course and I know how to like save someone. And she gives him like CPR. He wakes up, but then when he realizes it was her, it's like, oh, uh, I gotta go. And then he runs back into the ocean. It's all just really really heightened and really funny and I love this movie so so much um but Ben isn't talking a lot for for the listen, listener just because like there's some noise on his end and uh, I assume he's also enjoying it it's it's good stuff um eventually I mentioned Gilligan's island later becomes significance because the kind of reveal in this movie is there is a point where uh, the person, I think his name is Trevor, but everyone just calls him like Roy or Roy Martin, because that's who he's pretending to be. And there's a point where they discover his identity at the time when he's gotten this statue, which... Initially, the thing with the statue is the kids spill juice on it, and they take it to get cleaned. And so when he shows up, it's not there for a while. And then he learns that it's actually going to get auctioned off. And it gets auctioned off to, like, Zaza Gabor and Rosie McDonald in, like, a really fun cameo-type thing. But he just steals it, and he's like, oh, you know, I want to take it back, and Carol assumes it's because, since this was something that her late husband had sent to her, he assumes it's because she thinks that he wants to get back together with her, but then that's not the case, of course, and at the same time, the kids eventually discover, oh, this man's an imposter, because they find a very conveniently labeled photo of him that says, my assistant, Trevor. Of him and the horse. But he kidnaps Carol. And he ties everyone up. And he runs off to like Hawaii. With Carol. So they don't call the police. 
There's also a really good joke where he's kidnapping Carol, and they're like, no, don't take her mom, take Jan! And they just push her to, like, the front, and you're like, oh, poor Jan, and luckily Mike Brady, who has also figured this out, because he takes it to, like, the cops who investigate it in between looking into real murders, he comes down and he tells them, all right, we're, we're going to get your mother, we're all going to Hawaii! And everyone's excited, and Hall dresses up to Hawaii fashions, and it comes to a thing where the big reveal in this movie is that the horse that her husband had found and then was lost in an expedition at sea, that the, the collector that he's going to sell it to, turns out his son was on the same expedition. His son was the first mate, actually. His name is Gilligan, and Carol's husband, Professor Martin, was the professor. And it's just a big reveal is, yeah, that in the Brady Bunch movie universe, Carol's original husband was like a character on Gilligan's Island. And they have shit in where he's like, oh, he could still be alive, like on an island somewhere. It's like the collector's like, on an island, like lost for all eternity. I, don't even want to think about that. Yeah, and then it's again, it's sort of describe this movie that where the tone is just it's insane, but eventually the rest of the stuff shows up and there's a point where I forget what it is, but it's earlier in the film and Roy and Mike have like an interaction and Roy, Roy like says some Latin thing, I forget what, what it is, and then I was like, oh, well, I always say, and then he just says another thing, and it's like, what, doesn't that mean buyer beware? He's like, yes. And it's just <laughs> nothing. And then at the end of the like film, it. all of a sudden, like, Mike shows up, and they they get into a fight, and Mike Brady just immediately, like, clobbers him. And, like, ah. Oh, yeah, this is another, I think this is the third movie in uh, in this, in all of these, where a, a dad uh, punches a scumbag. Yeah, it's um, becoming quite the recurring theme of like stuff, and then he just says it again, and it works like buyer beware, and it works so well, and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, no, it's fantastic. Yeah, no, sorry, I was a uh, podcast listener as I was gone for a little bit, but yeah, no, I think Kenny kind of hit on almost all the notes that I was thinking of as well. Yeah, everything um, except the actual kiss. Yeah, oh, oh, and I guess around that kiss, there is a hilarious part early on, like, after they're, like, first, like, ooh, like, they're, like, they sort of realize that they're both just, like, they're steps, so they're not related. Um, and, then, and then they're about to leave, and the dad goes, no fooling around, and they both, like, just stop and dead in their tracks. And they're like, it is, it is. Uh, it's like, well, if you have to get to the pool, you should be leaving, like, now. <laughs> oh yeah, because a running joke in like both of these things is Mike Brady will give speeches that are they have there's nothing in the thing of content they're redundant and they don't make sense but the family is always like oh yeah yeah they're very like very like end of the end of the episode sitcom like like and I think today we learned you know and all of that um, yeah um, the kiss. OMG. <laughs> yeah, eventually. So it's, yeah. They get to the barbecue and 
for the big wedding vow renewal ceremony, and they're going in, and they talk about, oh, he's, yeah, she's gonna move, like, uh, she's gonna move out of the attic for now until he goes off to college, and like, oh, yeah, so I guess, I guess this is it. They're like, yeah, and then they just have one wild kiss. Yeah, oh my gosh. It is... <laughs> it is yeah. hilarious. Also, at a certain and point, then... the song If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right just starts underscoring all of their yeah. scenes. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that happens like two-thirds into the movie. <laughs> uh, and then uh, right at the end... Um, Genie uh, shows up from I Dream of Genie, and she's like, "I'm Mike's husband or wife. I'm Mike's <laughs> original wife." Just oh yeah. Like... There's also a really funny scene when um yeah when uh I think Carol is getting like her hair cut by by David Spade. Am I correct? Uh yeah, I think that is David Spade. There's a number of cameos in this movie. Yeah, and then she's like, because he's talking about like, well, what kind of woman would I be if I didn't like if I didn't like uh like super follow my vows like to the T and then he'd be like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really good film. Um no, the, but, yeah. Definitely I think we've talked about this longer than I have a movie, but it's just a film point it's not it's not my fav- favorite we cover, but it's close. Like it's there's so many good it's bits. Really, really good. Um other other close calls with Greg and Marsha that we did not talk about talk about like include there's one where they almost kiss in the attic and then the kids interrupt and they're like oh shadow puppets they're like what they're like we were doing shadow puppets and then you know he's like oh can you do a hippopotamus and we're like what no there's no time for that it's just <laughs> no it is a it is a wonderful one and there's a bit where they each get a date with the other one's biggest rival and it's gonna be like uh yeah and winds up at the same place, and Jan, who's still trying to keep up the George Glass thing, is like, um, I'm gonna go too with my boyfriend, George Glass. Also And she brings like a like a CPR. Yeah, she brings a CPR dummy that just keeps falling up. And everyone in the Yeah. Everyone in like the cafe just like thinks it's like a like a performance. Piece. Yeah, it's the most I'll say Every performance in this is funny. Jennifer Elise Cox, who plays Jan, is maybe giving the comedy performance of the year in this thing. Like, oh, absolutely. It's yeah. wonderful. Also, all the actors, like, in this case, I like, none of these are being played by actual, like, children, except I think, like, the youngest are still teens, but Jan is definitely the oldest out of all of them. And it's just this perfect thing of, like, insecure purities. And then when they're in Hawaii, she actually meets a boy named George Glass who really likes her. Just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, wonder, wonderful, wonderful movie. Like, very much, very reminiscent of, like, the first live-action Scooby-Doo and, like, the Addams Family. Like, definitely an amazing, amazing film. Yeah. Yeah, um, if we want to transition into our best movies and then best kiss. Um, yeah. So for my best movie list, I think at the bottom, uh, it's probably pretty obvious. I think I have Phenomenon. Um, it's an interesting like concept, and it had like a pretty good pieces. But I feel like it was just it could have been shorter. It could have been it could have trimmed down the fat a little bit. Um, maybe got like a more consistent lead to maybe do it. Um, yeah, but then after that, now these top four are extremely close. 
Um, but I think after that, I'd probably put uh, for best movie Independence Day. Um, I think it's like really, really good. It's like it's one of those like it was one of like the first like you said big blockbuster movies. Um, but I just think it gets outshone by like the other the three movies here. And then um, after that, I would have to put um, Bound. Uh, it's a pretty. Um, it's a it's a very 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 good movie. Like I said, these top four are really close. Um, and then, um, for my first and second, I would have to say uh, unequivocally, um, my first is the Brady Bunch movie. I had such a fun time with it. Um, Romeo and Juliet was also extremely fun, but just like the energy and absolute insanity of the Brady Bunch movie just put it way over the top for me. I had such an enjoyable time watching it. I think my ratings are pretty much similar, except I do still have Romeo and Juliet at number one because it's just it's it's one of those undeniable emo- emotion plays. Even even though I think again, very Brady sequel, almost any other year that would be my number one, no question. Just yeah, it's yeah, no, it was definitely like it's definitely a very tough call between those two. Um, yeah. But I just I think the 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 pretty a very pretty sequel had me rolling on the floor. It was yeah, like, like if you're just gonna watch one of these films uh, and you haven't like seen the ones, very Brady sequel is the move. Yeah. Especially if you're into just like yeah, exactly. super meta, like comedy silliness. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, so is your is yours just kind of mine, but the Brady Bunch, Romeo and Juliet are switched? Yeah, like yeah, bound. Yeah, phenomenon at the bottom, then Independence Day, then Bound, and then Brady Bunch, then Romeo and Brady, Juliet. Man. Yeah. No, that's that's totally reasonable. Wait, I'm sorry, and Romeo then, plus Juliet. Oh, of course, we wouldn't want to. Uh, we wouldn't want to confuse confuse anyone. The the plus exactly. The plus is actually just um two guns touching the touching together on a table. Oh right. Um <laughs> I don't even think that's true. <laughs> that wouldn't make sense in the poster. Yeah. No, it's a cross. That makes oh, yeah. sense. Um <laughs> Um Yeah, and then for my best kiss, um uh, it's pretty similar. Yeah, at the bottom I think we have like the phenomenon one because like it's alright, but like I think the better move would have been to do it during like the shaving scene. Oh for sure. And then after that, um, probably the Independence Day one. Um, I'm usually a little more, I guess I'm a little more critical um, when, I, when I personally get the kiss wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> mainly because like, I, I kind of, while we, were, while we were doing it, I actually looked it up on YouTube and watched it. And I was like, oh, that's, like, that's pretty understated, honestly. Um, but um, I think when I made this ranking, I was thinking of like the wedding kiss. I might have to just watch that again. So I think Phenomenon Independence Day, in terms of the kiss, are kind of in like a similar area of like it was all right, but it could have had a little more oomph. Um, and now on to the three oomph uh, full choices. I would have to put. It's really tough. Um, I would have to say, for the third, I would put uh, Romeo and Juliet. Um, just because there's like a lot of kisses in that movie, and they're very like um, passionate, and I think the I think that I like the elevator one the best. I think, but the pool one is definitely very good. Um, and then for best kiss, um, I would say it again 
it would have to go to the Brady Bunch. It knocked me on the floor laughing. I think it is a amazing comedy kiss um, to really punctuate the end of the movie. And then just below that, just barely, is the is the bound kiss. Um, I I have a have a definitely a um, a weakness for a well executed and wonderful comedy kiss, and I think it's built up through the movie. Um. Yeah, those are. I think those are my choices. Yeah, but I will say, yeah, the Brady Bunch kiss is and, definitely maybe the best comedy kiss we have seen yet. <laughs> yeah, and and then I I would say for the best kiss, those top three, so uh, Brady Bound and Romeo plus Juliet. I would say those are honestly all pretty interchangeable. Like they're all very very good. I just have a real soft spot for uh for comedy kisses. I think they're. I think when done well, they can be hilarious. Yeah, so for mine, uh, Independence Day, I think, yeah, I would have that at the bottom. Um, I didn't mention this, but even Vivica A. Fox, like, I found a thing where she's like, yeah, I don't know how we won an award, but it wasn't really like, a really good kiss. Like, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, like, you know, it's fine. It gets its swing done, but it's like, okay, I guess you have to, you have to give Independence Day something. Might as well be that. And then after that, yeah. I have Phenomenon. And then, yeah, and then, again, I think, yeah, my top three, again, comes into similar order. Romeo and Juliet movie I love, but also a film where there's so much going on in, like, the passion and the and the rest of it, and that the, the kisses are just, I think, part of that tapestry. And this is surprising, because initially, like, going in, like, unseen, I'm like, oh, yeah, Romeo and Juliet, I'm sure I'll get this for sure, but... Not just the other two, like it's. I'm gonna say I'm going to give it to Bound over the a very Brady sequel yeah. kiss. Just, just, just you know, I want to say that we beat MTV to like awarding the best same sex kiss. Like, yeah, I definitely would not argue with that. Um, I think I always also have like a little bias in like the most recent one I saw. I think as well, but yeah. Yeah, no, Bound is amazing. Amazing kiss and amazing. Yeah, movie. it's also partly because I'm not sure I'm going to give it to Cruel Intentions when the time comes. I might, but like it's. <laughs> I, I just watched through, through those movies and the Never Been Kiss Kiss is like major. Um, but that is yeah. for the future. Um, for now, what's your recommendation of the week, Ben? Uh, my recommendation of the week. Um, this, probably by the time this come out, they should all probably be on Disney Plus, um, but uh, Marvel's Modok um, is hilarious. I, I was very very shocked um, that how funny I am consistently finding it. I thought it would have lost steam pretty quick, um, but it is a hilarious sort of. It's animated in the sort of the style of like Robot Chicken or Moral Oral, um, and it, it it's just following the the Marvel character Modok in his in his life and i am i am absolutely loving it um i would 100 percent recommend those yeah i gotta catch up on that one i've seen a couple episodes and enjoyed them a lot um yeah mine will also be a tv one for the second time that since we started in this segment it's gonna be uh apple tv plus show apple tv plus a network that doesn't have a lot of content, but is good for getting for like a month or two and just watching through the gems on there. Um, this this one I've just been watching is 
called Mythic Quest, which is it's a show kind of created by the guy who plays Mac on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And Megan oh. Gans, who's like a notable writer on Community and other sitcoms, but she famously wrote the bottle episode of Community where they're all in a room. I think that's like her notable credit there, but it's but it's a show about it's a, essentially a workplace comedy about like a video game company and they make this big MMO and Mac from It's Always Sunny is like the yeah, creative director and his name is Ian, but he pronounces it Ion. And it's <laughs> yeah. And it follows essentially just well, it's more about like the lead and engineer Poppy and her efforts to kind of get recognized and get any kind of vision while this egotistical, but mainly kind of genius guy runs around. Um, Cricket from It's Always Sunny is also there playing the game's executive producer. Um, and Danny Pudi, who's like Abed on Community, is also on it playing against type as like the jerk money guy. And it's like a solid workplace comedy that will also occasionally just do like stunning one-off episodes. Like there's an episode set on set in like the nineties with essentially none of the characters, but it follows the, this video game designing couple as their game gets success. And as one of them is willing to compromise their vision and the other one is not how that relationship and the game both kind of fall apart. And it's, it's about to finish up. It's well, its second season will be done by the time this comes out. It's really good. If you're curious about Apple TV Plus at all, I definitely recommend checking it out. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, I am uh, not underscore two underscore pens. Uh, that is the number two, not the spelt out two. And then uh, at FutAlbi on Twitter. Um, that is F U T underscore uh, A. L B E E. And those are my only two things that exist that I am not uh, super ashamed of. <laughs> uh cool. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at like a Wolverine. You can find me and a list of all the movies we cover from this podcast on Letterbox, also under like like a Wolverine. Uh for for the show, our theme song is done by Matt Samard, who I shout out every episode. He doesn't have anything going on, but he's uh he's trying his best. Um, yeah. he's... If you uh if you DM me on Twitter, I will relay messages to him. Yeah, and eventually I'll get a we'll get him on to talk about something. It'll, it'll be fun. Um Yeah. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at goldpopcornpod, or you can email us at pastagoldenpopcorn at gmail.com. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, or follow. Do that kind of jazz. Tell your friends about us. Like We're going to keep making this show whether people listen or not, but, you know, it's fun when people listen. And... Oh, I think that's everything, except to say what we're talking about next week. Uh-huh. So for next week, yeah, Best Kiss 1998, the nominees are Joey Lauren Adams and Carmen Llewellyn, Chasing Amy, Matt Damon and Minnie Driver, Goodwill Hunting, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, Titanic, Kevin Klein and Tom Selleck, In and Out, 
And the winner over Titanic, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, the wedding singer. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to uh, be a blockbuster of an episode. <laughs> absolutely. Will any of these movies beat a very Brady sequel? Go off to tune in and to find out. Yeah, don't forget to um, keep popping that golden corn. Yeah, and once you pop that corn, you can pass it. And just just remember, <laughs> oh, would have been good if I had looked up one of Mike Brady's speeches for the, for the, for this, but I did not. So just remember. Yeah. Um. This is the podcast where we stand and we say we won't go quietly into the Apple store. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye, all.